0: to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest for me, an incredibly cool person that I've known for a very long time, finally got a chance to sit down with him and record this episode. Honored to have him on the show to kick off negative approach week here at Turned Out of Punk. Chris Moore, aka OP Moore, from the band Youth Patrol, from the band Negative Approach, and from Crosswires, and as well as other solo stuff. He's a brilliant artist and has, you know, just a, a real journeyman artist um, that played in one of the greatest hardcore bands of all time. Wrote some of the greatest hardcore songs ever, but we will talk about all that in one second. But first, if you would like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest Booker Extraordinaire, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at left 4 damien If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you know that we have a podcast here and we do things like a negative approach week. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe they'll be interested in that too. You know, maybe it's, it's, I'm <laughs> very excited about this week, as you can tell. Um, and, or you can support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash turned at a punk and, uh, checking out the fun stuff we do over there. Video versions of this podcast footnotes, which is coming back, uh, with some new episodes real soon. Uh, a lot of other stuff over there So thank you to everyone that does do that Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that does do that And uh, speaking of thanks This show would not be possible if the kind support of the fine folks at Vans Who came aboard a few years ago and said Damien, do what you do Just don't do it out of your own pocket And they helped me cover the costs of doing this show Which, believe me, shockingly There are costs with putting out a free podcast Including doing more than one episode a week Which is weird <laughs> You know, it's anyway we we'll don't have to get into that. Thank you, Vans, for being there to help me cover the cost of this thing. Uh, and uh, that is that. Oh, also, you can subscribe to this and rate it on your platform of choice. If you're listening to this on iTunes, do it there. And thank you to everyone that does do that. And once again, very much appreciated. Uh, we will be going on tour. And when I say we, I mean the band Fucked Up that I play in with the band Faith No More. You can find out more information by Googling Faith No More. Fucked Up or searching for it in your uh, search engine of choice, Excite, uh, Yahoo, whatever you're using, whatever you're using, and uh, check out some of those dates. We're going to be playing uh, four shows, five shows in the Midwest, and I am very excited to be doing that. Uh, Also, Fucked Up is tentatively, tentatively, fingers crossed, planning on going on a tour in January and, uh, and kind of all over the place. From there on to celebrate the 10th anniversary of David Comes to Life, a record we put out 10 years ago, and it is being reissued by Matador Records. You can find out more information over on their website. Also, we've been putting out a bunch of stuff, including Year of the Horse, which is an hour and a half long song featuring some incredible guests and collaborators. Don't worry, you don't have to listen to me for the whole thing. And, uh, you can check that thing out. It, I guess it'd be like a Turnout of Punk episode, but I'm yelling a lot more than I do on, on a Turnout of Punk episode. So, um, but I'm not on the whole thing once again. <laughs> so check this thing out over at tankcrimesrecords.com. It's so late. I'm recording this thing very late tonight. Uh, and, uh, also, oh yeah, Get Better Records is going to be putting out the fucked up Epics and Minutes singles compilation. I am so stoked that this thing is finally coming out and very happy to be out on that label as well. And so pick those things up on those websites, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in person at some point. You know, socially distance and everything like that, but you know, with a mask on. And but we'll 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 get to hang out that way uh, for the next little bit. One day we'll be all climbing all over each other again. But you know, anyway, let, let's move on to today's show. Today on the show we are kicking off Negative Approach Week here on Turned Out of Punk. With, uh, as I said off the top, someone I've known for a very long time. I first met Chris when we played with Negative Approach after they first got back together in Los Angeles at a festival well over 10 years ago now. And uh, he was just the coolest. We hung out all afternoon and just chatted. And, you know, over the years, playing with Negative Approach in those early years of their reunion, we'd see him a bunch and hang out always, you know, just chatting and stuff like that. And then... I hadn't seen him for, God, a long time. And then here I was at Dinosaur Jr.'s amazing Camp Fuzz weekend recently, and the Negative Approach guys were like, Chris is coming to the show today. Opie's coming to the show. And lo and behold, here's Chris, and and we hit it off and, and picked up right where we left off all those years ago. Chris no longer plays in the Negative Approach reunion. He has been replaced by the Great Meat and But he's still part of the family, obviously, writing a lot of those songs that are so classic, and even gets up and plays with them, and it's like a two-drummer assault when he does it, and it is phenomenal. Anyway, I digress, but Chris also played in Youth Patrol, and also played in Cross Wires. We don't talk about it in the episode, but he also played in a... Key lineup of L7 The Detroit L7, not to be confused with the Los Angeles L7 Pick up that L7 reissue on Third Man, by the way It is incredible So he is this guy with this incredibly storied history And I hit him up to do the podcast And he was like, absolutely And the next thing he knows, he's in front of a live audience I should have warned him that it was going to be front for a live audience at Camp Fuzz But (laughs) he rolled with it He took it in stride uh, Which believes me to the audio The audio is live audio so it's certainly uh, not necessarily the audio that we are used to on the show, but it is it, it's good. It's fun. We listen to bootlegs, you know We listen to, we listen to negative approach practice tapes. Um, we listen to negative approach demos. you know we, we appreciate the content over the fidelity sometimes. It's not that rough though, but but you know, just so you're uh, aware. Also, so you're aware, negative approach have put out, I think it's sold out now. At this point, maybe you can find it in some record stores. But for Record Store Day, they released the Tied Down demo on Tang Records. So pick that up. They're also going to be reissuing on Tang Records the first 7-inch. I believe that thing may be still for sale. I think it's probably sold out by now. But check out tangrecords.com for more information about that reissue. If you do not have, you know, the the Tied Down LP and the Negative Approach 7-inch, uh, in some format, you don't have to have the originals or anything Because those things go for ungodly money now, especially the 7-inch But if you ha- if you do not have these things in some way that you can listen to them I implore you to pick these things up These are two of the greatest I don't know, records, period, for me, ever But certainly the greatest American hardcore records of all time In their respective formats, 7-inch and 12-inch So, yeah, if you are not familiar with Negative Approach Check them out But also, Crosswires are a band that I was not very familiar with And they're a band that I've now uh, tried to immerse myself in a little bit And my gosh, can Chris write a song So check out Crosswires They they have quite an, uh, an extensive discography um, from over the years uh, Also check out Youth Patrol Youth Patrol, of course, was on the process of elimination comp There was a Youth Patrol demo, which has been bootlegged one day, hopefully, there'll be a proper reissue of this thing because it rages. I think the first time I heard it was probably on the "Killed by Hardcore" Volume One compilation. I think it's on Volume One, but this thing—whew! This is a track. They were—they were must have been an incredible band to see live. Anyway. You can find Chris at uh, on Instagram at Chris Moore Music. You can also find him on Bandcamp, see Moore uh, M-O-O-R-E music at dot bandcamp.com or Crmooreart.com as well for his artwork. Uh so sit back, relax, and enjoy Chris Moore, aka O P Moore, on Turned Out of Punk, live from Camp Fuzz. Thank you, Dinosaur Jr. for having me. All right. Why make it? Why penalize? <laughs> Way better the first time. <laughs> why penalize the early arrivers? Welcome to Turn Out of Punk Live at Camp Fuzz! <laughs> and, uh... This is going to be an incredible one. This is someone who I've wanted to talk to for a long time, and I got here and found out OP was going to be... A, is it okay to call you, OP yeah, Chris? Sir. Okay, I'm sorry. Chris That's was fine. going to be here. No, it doesn't matter. And uh, you are a legend. You, you know, obviously negative approach, youth patrol, Crosswires, potentially McDonald's. I know you say you weren't in the band, but I have research that proves otherwise, so I don't know. I, I think maybe we should side with me on this one. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was in the van, yeah. Okay, Well, Chris, i got to start this off the way they all start off, which is how did you get into punk from the first time you ever came across the genre? Uh, W,
1: I think it was radio, W4 play, um, maybe, uh, I'm not sure now, um, I, oh no, ska- uh, skateboarding, um, So, skateboarding, Skateboard Park, 1978, very young, um, and I think the older skaters that were there were listening to kind of like classic, you know, like Led Zeppelin and The Who, Mm. and then also they were getting records by, say, uh, like The Stooges or uh, The Clash, um. Uh, Devo which I you know I don't know punk what that means
0: I think it was definitely in there so that I'm yeah.
1: like wow you know what what what's this music you know that I'm not used to and so the older skaters would like play it up in their like kind of boom boxes or whatever you know mm-hmm. just um, and then there was a radio show on D- in Detroit um on a cl- well back then it was FM radio on Sunday nights called w4 play I think that's what it was called and um, they would spin uh, uh, like more like obscure music okay so um, at midnight on Sundays you know when you know no crowd on the radio they would go be like playing like a, you know like sex pistols or the Ramones and,
0: and so, stuff like that. So, it's interesting you brought up the Stooges because like a lot of people come on the podcast <coughs> and talk about how underground the Stooges were in the late seventies. Like, you know, the records didn't get reissued I think until the late eighties. Like, uh-huh. they were kinda hard to come by. But obviously Detroit's different. Was there like a, a lot of awareness of the Stooges and kind of the place they had there? Uh, like were um, they playing? I mean, on the not radio? for me. Yeah.
1: really. But um Yeah, there was more awareness there, but uh I think from from my introduction to them was they just got lumped in with the other this other punk stuff though they were coming from the 60s and it was fringe mm-hmm. so the presentation at that time in 1978 or 79 was I guess they were just lumping in stuff that was like edgy music that didn't get a lot of exposure yeah I don't know I'm not really sure but that's was my so I was like Oh, this could have came out in 1978. It or sounds good, like or say it's just like the first like police record or something that was edgy or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into it. I was not, you know, aware of it. Even being, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say so, but even being from that city, you know, I was sort of not aware of the timing of it. You know,
0: well, it, it really feels like punk rock brought awareness to the larger world uh, to the Stooges' back. You know, like it feels yeah. like, you know, Sex whistles covering them, obviously. Right. And just sort of, like you're saying, there's that sonic connection, even though it's from the 1960s to what is happening at the time. It yeah. does sound like it could have come out in 78. Like, yeah. You know, there's an edge to it. What were some of the bands that you were hearing on that radio show? Was it like Detroit punk rock stuff? Was no, that stuff no, it was, all, it,
1: it was like all across. So it was, it was like
0: British mm-hmm. punk. It was like West Coast punk. It was,
1: uh, you know, East Coast stuff and you know a lot of different stylistically a lot of different sounding bands. Mm-hmm. So like I was in the Devo a lot. That was you know the B-52s. Absolutely. New
0: Wave or whatever yeah.
1: they say. But it's interesting how like and, um, oh go ahead, sorry. Yeah. Uh and the clash and, and stuff like that.
0: It's interesting though like now obviously that stuff's categorized as New Wave, but you like you look at Athens and like the B-52s were the first pump in. Yeah. You know like in that Eventually, probably during hardcore is when it starts really getting codified. Like, Mm -hmm. this is punk, this is hardcore, this is not. Yeah, yeah. But, like, back then, it's all punk. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's all edgy, it's all new.
1: Right. Uh, What was
0: the first show you went to?
1: Um, I I love answering this question. Um, The first show was Devo at Motor City Roller Rink, which put on, (laughs) the promoter put on these shows in this roller rink. Um, I think the Clash played there. I think Blondie played there. Anyway, so I went to see Devo, and I went with like all my skateboard buddies, and you know I wanted to be, look punk. Yeah. So my aunt, who was kind of like a hippie, had these weird ass clothes, you know, and she had a leopard skin uh, vest or something. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, Lynn. Can I borrow that vest to go to this concert? And she's like, "What concert are you going to?" You know. And I said, "Devo," and she's like, "Devo," you know. So I, you know, I wanted to have this weird outfit on, even as a little boy. Yeah. And, and so I had like a leopard skin vest with nothing underneath it, <laughs> and like I, I was in mar- I was in marching band, and they had these really tight marching band like trousers <laughs> like kind of flare yeah. thing, and so I remember that was important like I wanted to look weird and, and uh, be with all my weird friends and it, then um so the concert itself you know you kind of load into a space that was maybe twice as big as this space oh it's tiny and it was kind of small yeah. like kind of a general mission so you know you would just you just walk into the space and literally like You can walk up to the stage, you know, like, and those fucking guys, you know, I mean, it was like getting hit by a, a train. It was, they were so organized and focused and it was just so tightly performed. You know, I was like, oh my God, you know, I was completely inspired, you know, and you could just, everybody was kind of moving around and. they were just a force, you know. And then in the audience, I'm like meeting, you know, you're kind of meeting. It was very communal. It was like, you know, you might look over at somebody and be like, yeah, you know, you're here. You know, this is a weird vibe, you know, whatever. And so I remember seeing like Larissa for the first time. Like just, she just was like, whoa, man, she's just fascinating, you know. Just these fascinating sort of, characters, you know, and so I I was really attracted to that. Yeah. So I was like, everybody's different, you know, and it was a great show. And, and then, and then so afterwards, um, after the show, everybody's like, or, or somebody's like, hey, you want to meet Jerry Casale from Devo? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so all of us skater guys, like six or seven people were like, oh, fuck, cool, man, Jerry Casale. And they're kind of nervous. And stuff, and then he he comes out and he's very friendly and he's like, "Hi guys, thanks for coming to the show." And this is my wife, and yeah, <laughs> And we were bummed out because we were thought, <laughs> "God, he's so normal." And like you know, just like we had this other picture, and he was so polite and so gracious. It, it, that was another, you know, that informed something in me about the breakdown of performer to audience, that exchange, you know, because, um, you
0: know, it was inspiring. Well, it's, and it's so awesome when you think about punk rock, because that's still, that's what attracts me later on, you know, that's still what I think attracts yeah. me to this day, and it's amazing how early that is, is established, like, you hear stories about the Ramones going on their first tour, Blondie even going on their first tours, and hanging out with kids afterwards, yeah. and, like, the sense of all these people... That we're searching for something, and that ultimately winds up being punk, finding yeah. each other at these early shows. Like, I find I find it fascinating that punk holds that place almost immediately. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so, I don't know. And maybe it's like that for other music scenes, and maybe I just didn't experience it because I was always focused on yeah. this thing. Yeah,
1: may, maybe it's timing and what you're open to at the time.
0: Yeah, you're yeah, right. But there's few. But there's few genres where, like, the artist is so willing to, like, Destroy that mystique, you know. Mm-hmm. Vivo, like you're saying, it's a crazy stage show. Nothing like it. Even yeah, they're, really they're on. like from outer space, yeah. or whatever, you know. This and then they're so arty, and but then
1: then they're so you know, it's just, it's just normal. They're, yeah, real people. You're real, real people. So where did it kind of go from there for you? Like, were you playing drums already? I was playing drums. There was like a kind of a like a neighborhood band that was playing like kind of like covers, all older people. And then I would sort of go and watch them practice. And then the drummer was like, hey, Chris, do you want to try to sit in and play on something? And so that sort of was my getting into sort of
0: like live rock or or punk playing. Would they play live? uh, Like, I mean, out and stuff? Do shows I don't
1: think those guys did. I think they were just kind of jamming in the garage. What kind of songs would they do? Like uh, anything that was sort of like... uh, anything from like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles to like The Clash or, you know, just a mix of stuff. That's a diverse repertoire for a band. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were just kind of, they, they were open-minded. Yeah. So, you know, they were they were trying a bunch of different stuff and I was just trying to like, I was watching the drummer and I was and I listened a lot to a lot of records. So I would always practice to the records and try to sort of, you know, f- fake my way around the, what yeah. they were doing.
0: So what were some of the first local bands you remember hearing about? Um, like would you like Coldcock and all those yes. kinds of bands? Yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff. But I
1: was so I could not get into those spaces. I was just too young. What about those? Like, did would you hear those records? Could you find those records? You could find those records. I it wasn't easy. You mm-hmm. had to um, somebody had to hand it down to you. You had to. I don't think they were readily available. At least not in my network. Again, I was so young. I, it, maybe if I was, like, 18 or something, then I... But, um... And then I would go and hang out, like, in parking lots of clubs. And just listen? And just kind of listen, and then... Like, I think there was a, um... I think I went to see the police, actually. Or I went to the to the club where the police was playing. At Bookie's, which is, like, smaller than, like, this size. and a legendary club. Yeah, and, uh... You know, just hanging out in the back, and somebody had like an indie label, and was like, "Well, if you like the Police, you might like
0: blah blah blah." You know, a really? local band. You know, was it like Sinicide and those bands yeah, and Ivories yeah. and all those types yeah, of stuff? Yeah. And so yeah. I, I find it fascinating how like I love that stuff, but it's so different than what you guys were yeah. doing a few years later.
1: Yeah. And that just came out of,
0: well, yeah.
1: Then we jumped into sort of a hardcore thing being influenced by like the bad brains and black flag and stuff like that. Me, myself anyway. So what was the first hardcore band you remember hearing or like another band that Well the first hardcore show I ever saw, I think was Minor Threat. Oh, it was the one in Windsor? At yeah. Coronation Tablet. Oh, wow. And it had it had the same impact. Yeah. It was like it was just like it was so like heavy just I've heard straight. that. I've heard that referred to as
0: the birth of Detroit Hardware, that show.
1: It may be. I mean, the Necros opened the show, yeah. I think. But for some reason, I did. I mean, maybe I didn't see the Necros. But for some reason, the minor when Minor Threat played, it was just like. It's a whole different thing.
0: And, and was it like kind of immediately that there was like this young group of kids? Like, were you seeing all these young kids that would wind up being like the Detroit Hardware scene? Not kind of, there.
1: Kind of, not there. Um, but soon after that. So how did was Youth Patrol first or Negative Approach? What you start? Uh, youth Patrol. Well, Youth Patrol and Negative Approach probably started out around the same time. Mm. Um, my guess is that around um, the same time.
0: I can't remember exactly. Well, how did Youth Patrol come together? Was it just friends that you met? Friends and
1: skaters and stuff, and you know,
0: yeah, more like a skater thing. We weren't, you
1: know, that wasn't. We didn't take it that seriously. I don't think
0: the song on the comp is incredible. Yeah, the but, song on the process of elimination comp by yeah. Youth Patrol is one of the fucking best hardcore songs. Yeah. It rages. Did you guys report a lot of like? There's a bootleg, I think, or is there? There,
1: there is, but I have never heard it. I yeah, never heard, like Graham from NA actually just reached out to me. He's like, "There's a Youth Patrol co- thing going around. Are you aware of it?" And I said, "No,
0: you know." So I don't know did you find it interesting how culty this stuff has become like yeah. there's a documentary about it now and like yeah. people are paying tens of thousands of dollars for these records yeah, and things yeah. like that it's it's such a well it's just such an amazing period of time because there's so many bands that come out of there and it's just it's like one of the best hardcore scenes you know there's just like and there's a range to it too like the Necros sound nothing like Never. Necros- no there like was six. a range yeah and it's but you guys are all kind of approaching it with the same ferocity I
1: guess yeah and I guess the Necros really kind of held held our hands or my hand at least in terms of because uh, they were a little older and, um, and just Corey and Touch and Go and you know our first tours were with the Necros yeah. and you know the, they had to drive because they were older and you know it was just uh, they were really friendly um, guy, you know sweet all the weird shit happened like violent shit happened but um, those guys were looking out
0: for us I think it's, did you ever read Smegma Journal? That was yeah. their fancy, right?
1: Yeah, berries. Yeah. yeah.
0: Did you like, when did you remember meeting those guys or seeing those guys for the first at, time? At that Minor Threat Show. So like, was it a media that you kind of like? No, they were kind of
1: intimidating. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, they were intimidating, to me at least. Um, and actually, I remember going to a, they they also had parties, like um, in Toledo at Todd's you know, Todd, the drummer's house. And we, had, we didn't really know Necros then, but because we were doing this, we were exploring punk and stuff and because it was so small. You know, we got invited to this party in Toledo. And I remember sort of being challenged, like we were kind of in the back and then, and then Barry, who was singing for the Necros, was like kind of challenging us. Like, you know, what are you doing here? Like, so it was, it was, it was a rocky... Um, it was a little bumpy at first and then it was like instant friends. Yeah. Like, so I guess he was like sussing us out, like just sort of like, you know, what is this? Some kind of like, who told you to be, here? you know, I'm putting words into his mouth, but he, he definitely gave off a vibe, like very suspicious. I can picture him saying that. You know, yeah. (laughs) You know, just kind of like, I'm like, God, what a jerk. You know, we came to this party. You know, that was my attitude.
0: But like, I was like,
1: all right,
0: oops, whatever. When you get into it, it's amazing how protective you feel yeah. of it. You yeah, know yeah, And it's yeah. like, becomes your thing.
1: That's, I guess, that's what it was.
0: Yeah, and there's, like, another kid. Because I
1: was the same. I was, you know, I could have been like that, too, you know, at times. Like, well, when it got to where the culture sort of changed to a more violent thing, you know, where there's people, you know, I was like, how do these what are these guys doing here? And they are they even into the music? Because like, then there would be this, these fights and weird, like, creepy shit going on. You know, like, that wasn't part of the, the vibe in the beginning. So I was doing, I, you know, I was kind of giving that
0: look to, like, sort of like, you know, like, what are you doing here, man? You know, and so. It, it's amazing doing the show, how you kind of begin to see, like, a natural life cycle when you get into punk, like, you're fanatical, like a religious convert about it. And then you mellow with age. Yeah. And then you're like, ah, maybe I'll check out some other genres here and yeah, there. Or like, yeah. it's such a natural progression that seems everyone seems to go through. And it's, yeah. I guess it's like, it's it's one of the rare places that you have as a young person that says, what you say is important and we should pay attention to what you're doing. So, it, it's, it's such a freeing feeling finding it, right? Like mm-hmm. As a kid, like you're like a teenager and you're making records that people are picking up all over the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which we didn't... No, that was not the thing. We had no idea. Yeah. It was just like, hey, we got the, the resources
0: and um, might as well do it. And <laughs> Corey was very uh, focused. So. Why do you think it is that that scene... Is it because of Touch and Go? Because you had a label that, that was able to document Because it's interesting how certain scenes become... Canonized. Yeah,
1: you know? maybe. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And the magazines, and the, you know, we toured a little bit.
0: And, and the music's awesome. Talked about it. The music's amazing. I think that helps too.
1: And then we would, you know, uh, the coast. Like we would write letters to the bands. Would share letters with each other if they're going on tour or whatever. This is maybe jumping a couple subjects, but there's a, you know, there was there was an exchange coast to coast and scene to scene like um with other band members and setting up gigs and Mm -hmm.
0: stuff like that it really is a like you see this youth network form you know and it's a touring network that people still follow and it's this youth network to like share information with one another like it really is a uh I don't, like it's, it's such a powerful thing because it, it's the first time that you really have like a youth culture that's completely controlled by you yeah you know yeah. like a lot of times it would be adults exploiting youth culture right right <laughs> <laughs> do
1: you remember how NecroProach came together do you remember meeting everyone well I mean they were together and then um, uh, at the skateboard there was a skate park show which was kind of early hardcore that's the local park that we skated in. Necro's played Youth Patrol played Negative Approach played uh, a couple other bands, and um, that's kind of when I met. Well, I met those guys. I knew Rob was the the brother of the the, the bass player in Youth Patrol was the guitarist in the, in Negative Approach. Mm-hmm. So that's when I kind of met them. And then they were they wanted they were losing the drummer and bass player, and they saw Youth Patrol, and they were like, "Okay, hey, would you want to play with us?" And, And then we made the records. I immediately want jumped. Like as soon as they asked, I was like, sorry, I didn't want youth (laughs) patrol. You know. Just I just they were more serious, more intense. Yeah. I wanted to kind of get to that.
0: And what were those early shows like? Like you mentioned the violence that comes in later on, but what were like the early? Um uh
1: Everybody kind of knew each other. I mean, the freezer theater was a little different, but uh, you know, like part, like kind of like a parties, you know, vibe, um, um, and just shoving each other around, dan- You know, lot, uh, mostly funk, and like kind of innocent um, dancing, you know, kind of like stage diving stuff, but really like loose, really. Jeremy um, um, remembers remember about recording that first 7 inch? Uh, it was done at Corey's house. Yeah. And um, he yeah. had us in the basement in a mixing console, like kind of in like a laundry room around the basement. And we did it. I, I remember we were, I thought we were kind of prepared. And um, we did it pretty fast. Um, and we had there was a skateboard ramp in the driveway, like a just a, like a quarter pipe. So I remember us. I think we set up, recorded in like a half an hour, and we're like, I think it's done, you know. Like sort of like Corey's like, <laughs> I think we got it, you know, or whatever. And then uh, and then we kind of listened back and thought, oh, this, this is not that good, or whatever. And so we were skating around and maybe had lunch or something or whatever, and then. I think we did some stuff over again, and that was it. You know, it was like probably done inside of two hours, and then we did these background vocals in Corey's kitchen. You know, where you know the chant vocal. Yeah. And that that was, I think that was the overdub, the one overdub of the record. <laughs> okay, so everybody's gonna say ready to fight, like, and uh, so it was kind of fun. And Corey didn't really; he was just learning how to use this gear, so. It's like, it's on, okay, good, <laughs> this works, good, <laughs> roll, you know, it's just like, no, you know, n-
0: nothing about the atmosphere of the room or anything like that. It's, it's something, like, space. But so that awesome place. how, how like, immediate those records are, and I guess it's because of the way you're recording it, yeah. you're not worried about all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, was was there a demo before that? Because I know there's a tie-down demo. Think so but i don't think so. it's just like practice tapes so. and what what are your memories of like those tours that you guys did because you did tour the east coast a little bit yeah right? yeah
1: those were fun i mean i remember getting into new york for the first time and going i'm going to live here like you know i'm just like i'm going to live here when i get older and you so, did and i did but uh um it was fun it was everybody again looking out older people looking out for the younger people like watch out for this on this corner, look out for this, this could happen you know um, the promoter going out of their way to getting us a place to stay whether it's like somebody's house or so and so from the from the local rag is going to be here to do an interview you know a lot of organization mm-hmm. you know um, you know so I mean, our expectations were low anyway, but so when you go into a space with that kind of attitude and then stuff works out, you're like, wow, that's cool. So I, I don't remember any sort of uh, in the early, early day, I mean, days um, going ar- that awry, yeah. you know? I mean, you know, stuff would happen,
0: but nothing, you know,
1: worse things could have happened.
0: What was your What were your thoughts going to these other cities like Boston or DC and just seeing just, like she, you know the, you know the vibe was totally different Yeah, that's what I was going to wonder. Yeah. Like, it's all, every scene seems so
1: yeah, unique. it was a little different. Um, DC was really warm, kind of liberal, you know, intellectual kind of vibe. New York was really like unpredictable mm-hmm. like really like ev- again everybody yeah. was sort of had a different sort of um energy very exciting though um and then uh, boston was more uniformly you know this is what we do uh, you know very uh male um i've heard it called jockey a little so jockey But they were cool. And, you know, they were cool. Um, Really, like, really aggressive audience. Super aggressive audience. Um,
0: It's interesting to see how it develops where you, like, you hear the stories about the D.C. people going to Boston and then all the Boston people being energized by it and then them going to New York and fighting people in New York and then the New York scene being energized by it. Like, it's almost like this aggressive energy is something that's kind of being passed around. Yeah, yeah. Was to. Was that something that happened in Detroit early on? Like, you mentioned the violence that would come later, but were kids wild at the shows? Like, I see why be something that you're not? The footage looks amazing. I mean, I thought, I,
1: to me, it was, it was wild. I never felt, like, in danger, really. I mean, I remember one time negative approach playing, and then somebody, like, throwing, like, a cup, like, a mug, and it just totally just, bam, knocked me on the, like, this, like, kind of, like, didn't directly hit, but just kind of, you know, on the side of my head you know oh, like that kind of thing like halfway through the set like whoa you know that's you know that's the kind of stuff that could happen and I don't think that was out that was just out of like hey I can, get, I can throw this cup at yeah. the stage yeah I, I'm not you know I didn't
0: feel like it was like like you suck it was more like this is rowdy you know it's like yeah for better or for worse yeah. it's like kids rule right yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like even on the bad decisions sometimes yeah it's just <laughs> what were some of your favorite bands to play with
1: uh, well Minor Threat uh, I mean all of the the renowned bands that you know of. I mean Dead Kennedys uh, ba- Bad Brains Black Flag I mean we played with all those people um, so I mean God they were all so good yeah it's all different too just, yeah.
0: yeah different it, delivery different dynamics what were like what were the what was the moment, though? Because you, you, we talked earlier, and you mentioned there was like a certain moment where you were just like not into it.
1: Yeah, just, uh, I guess the repetitiveness of the music um, in terms of, I don't know, it just got sort of repetitive stylistically. And, you know, the, with negative approach, you know, we were, we could, we were in that sort of area where we could start to really do stuff yeah, and go on tour and stuff. And I was like, ah, I'm just sort of getting burned on this. You know, and John really wanted to keep it going. And so I was like, I can't, I can't like, like, I can't put it, I can't like put myself, I can't like, um, I don't, I can't contribute the same way as I
0: did. So I feel like it's not, it doesn't make sense. I think it's so interesting to think about where you guys would have gone, you know, like sound-wise. And they
1: did do, I mean, John did, you know, Graham stayed in the band. And then John recruited two really great musicians for guitar and drums. And they, you know, he tried to do something that didn't
0: work out. I think Graham moved to D.C. to do Sam Hain. Yeah. And it feels like there was such a natural, like around 84, there's like this period where you know like Dino look at Dinosaur Jr. like they talked about it when they were on the show like there's this period where people are like yeah I'm just kind of going to move on and that's the birth of indie rock right there like this massive people wind up becoming the foundation of this indie rock scene uh, what were the bands that were kind of like pulling you away? Uh, stuff like that like,
1: kind of jangly yeah. artier like the like you know more melodic based music or like artier music like the DBs mm-hmm. or green on red mm-hmm. um, and then just like I was really into like stiff little fingers and some of them had a melodic element to it so and then I started playing guitar well I started playing guitar in NA like t- to write songs but then I started you know writing songs and I wanted to sort of play guitar and be you know be a guitarist so was there a scene for that
0: kind of music at the time mm-hmm. and you no not
1: really I mean, we weren't in the scene. I, my band was not in, in that scene yet. There was probably a scene, but I was so still with the sort of hardcore mm-hmm. stuff. Like I was told you earlier that Corey Rusk from Touch and Go, you know, booked my post NA band on the strength that I was in NA and not even hearing what I was doing, and you know, setting up this bill where you know the audience just was like. Fuck you guys suck! You know, or just like, what is this? You know, like this is so wimpy or uncool. Yeah, you know, and
0: uh, but uh, you know, and then you know, you know. But you guys, you guys put out like a ton of records. Like it's Crosswires, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, eventually that band found an audience, and you know that wasn't. I mean, a couple of people were like. Hey, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know the hot. You know, like the Necros guys actually really liked it, and they had a we did
0: a date with them, and it almost sort of worked a little bit better. What year? What era was that? Necros? That was like eighty five ish. Okay, yeah, eighty five. Yeah, because they're also getting a little more rock as time. Yeah, goes they through. were
1: getting more, like like a heavier, like a more of a metal
0: metal vibe. Yeah,
1: going on. Yeah.
0: There's that yeah. photo where they've all got this, well that tour where they all got the super long hair. Yeah, and, yeah. And by that point, and
1: it's so you know that was and then John, I, that was pre hyenas I think. So he wanted to do something different too.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's just like, you know, like when you guys first do the hardcore band, you're playing, and all these punk bands are just like looking at you guys like, why don't you get what we're doing? Like, and yeah. you guys are doing something that, like you always have to become that band. Yeah. To the next generation, eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you gotta, they got to reject you so they can carry yeah, on, right, care. right. But there's also like this history of power pop in like kind of Michigan and Detroit area, like the Romantics, yeah. reruns, and like yeah. you know, there is that. But it's, it's interesting how there's not. I guess because hardcore was such a big part of the yeah. culture then, there's not really room for the popular I, I, stuff. I don't
1: think so. In, unless I was, I just wasn't aware of it. or...
0: Yeah. What was it? You guys record the demo for Tied Down. Yeah. And then you do the LP. How long is that before you leave the band?
1: It was, I
0: mean, I knew I was,
1: I knew that was like sort of the end. So um, I, I left right after that record came out, I think, pretty much. It's, but uh, that demo was fun to record because we were like really in shape. As a band, we were really trying to be good. We took it really seriously. Had been playing a lot, and so we were like
0: in, in a good spot, like musically. <gasps> and also, like weirdly, physically in shape too. Because I looked at that photo on the back of the Tie Down LP. You guys are all ripped to shit. Like it looks like Mantle War of the Misfits.
1: <laughs> well, we were we were just playing a lot. Kind you know
0: skating and stuff. Pretty healthy living, I guess. <laughs> Your brother remember when the Misfits first came to town? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, well, they, we met them in New York. Like, Glenn came to the show, and we met those guys, and they were all super cool, you know? Very, ex- they, to me, seemed very experienced, you know? A little weird, because they had, like, a little bit of a costumey vibe. Um, but they were super friendly and, like, polite New York guys. And so um, you know we told him, hey, said, D- Detroit loves the Misfits, you know, because certain, like, DC for some reason wasn't really into the Misfits that much.
0: Yeah. were well, people
1: being very suspicious about their sort of, their show. I've heard certain you people
0: know, in DC go as far to say that they hated the Misfits.
1: Yeah, it's like, so but I don't know. Maybe because Detroit had Alice Cooper and Kiss mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, we're like, "Oh, that's cool. They're they're a little
0: different," you know. I never thought about that. Like why Detroit went for it and DC didn't, but I guess also because DC like so stripped down. Like yeah. it's so like it's it, it's so like here's the facts. You know, it's very Ian. Mean, yeah. <laughs> here are the facts. This is this thing. This is that thing. And we're not part of that thing. Yeah. And, yeah. And whereas you're right, Detroit's got like. There's like a lot more theatrics in Detroit rock and roll. I, I know. guess even yeah. the Stooges.
1: Yeah, right. And so the so the Misfits would come through a lot. And the, the first shows I think were booked with a sort of with a Corey sort of at the helm. And then they didn't need Corey after a while because they had an audience. They could play Kalamazoo, they could play Ann Arbor, they could play Detroit. You know, they could play three cities in Michigan. You know, once they got moving, mm-hmm. so. Uh, you know, I I I always had fun listening to the records and seeing the shows. It, it was a different experience than seeing Bad Brains or something like that. It was a different performance, but I you know I thought the songs were really
0: hooky and you know they could you know very melodic. They're yeah. such an interesting band because it's like they're like kind of the ultimate punk band and at the same time not at all a punk. Band. Yeah, they're they're almost like bubblegum yeah. rock. Yeah. With Elvis singing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there is something that uh, yeah, those records just sound otherworldly. Yeah. It doesn't really sound like they would have come out of any scene. Yeah, yeah. He had a Glenn had some weird vision. Yeah. And it's really like imagine being that self-assured. Yeah. That you're like, okay, we're gonna come out, we're gonna wear all this goth makeup, I'm gonna do all the art myself, and it's Mm -hmm. gonna be this complete, like figured out aesthetic, and just being that assured as that of an age. And
1: yeah, the presentation. I mean, obviously, it got more and more theatrical. Yeah. There was always some presentation involved where NA was like, you know, is it on? We're on. You know, like no presentation, <laughs> thought of presentation at all. Like, just like, hopefully, we make it through, you know.
0: But I think that's the thing about it, is that's why it still holds true and rings so true to so many people. Like, even younger kids, like watching some of the younger kids yesterday watching you guys play. Or like any play, and then you play in the yeah. end with them. It's like because it's authentic and because it's real, and there's no edifice.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that's why you can always still connect with it. Yeah, maybe. Which I guess then this the is with the counter argument to that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you still get connected with a pretty big audience. Yeah, as well. yeah. They feel like they were a stadium band the whole way along, right? Right. And now they're finally like playing the place that they need to be. Playing. Yeah, that's there you go.
1: That's probably. It was in the back of their minds all the time.
0: How did the, how did the freezer change things when it opened?
1: Well, just it was just a, it was a space where 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 bands that didn't have a space could play. So um, it started out as kind of like a, 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 a you know it was a theater for like Artie, uh, Cass Corridor, Wayne State uh, presentations, and, and the the guy there would be like, you have an idea for a show hit me, and okay, we'll see if it can work out, and then so I think, I think maybe John and Corey sort of, well, we have this scene, and this is what goes on, and what does it cost, you know, to rent this space, or how much do you need, you know, and then the shows were fairly successful, and then eventually we built a stage, and, um, you know, it didn't you know, last like under two years, but. Yeah, it's like that it felt like a lifetime because there were so many shows and stuff that transpired around that sort of time and, and that space.
0: Have you seen that documentary that came out? Yeah, yeah. It's the one of the things I thought was the biggest revelation to me was how sketchy the guy that ran the freezer was.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because I never knew him. Yeah, I that's never what it seemed, like. it seemed like.
0: Seems like no one I'm, ever met him.
1: Yeah, I just knew that okay, so Corey's taking care of it, I trust him. It'll be fine, but I knew there was another, like a, sh- a shadow <laughs> presence, you know. And he keeps himself in that that documentary.
0: He keeps himself sort of shaded. Yeah, out. he seems to he still seems kind of sketchy. Yeah, when you're watching the documentary, if you haven't seen this documentary, the club owner who apparently hung out in a van out front of the show. I remember he, <laughs> he did not. He was not in the space when that our shows were going on. That's what I t- was told. Yeah, he's in this van. You didn't want people to know that he ran the club. Like, it was, it, it was a lot of stuff going on there you have questions yeah. about. And then Meyer threatened to shake him down for the payment. And yeah. We'll I mean, that show was
1: fucking nuts, man. I mean, there was a huge fight. Again, that's when the, it was starting to shift where it was like a whole, almost like a 20, 30 different people. People you wouldn't necessarily recognize entering around. It was too crowded to get in. There was a big fight that mm-hmm. night, and uh, that was kind of the end. There was like a, there was police. I mean, the police came and they basically just bailed, you know, because at that time in that neighborhood, they're like, "What are all these white dudes beating each other up for?" Like, "Fuck this!" Like, <laughs> just "Why don't beat this the shit out of each other?" You know? <laughs> it, seriously, it was it was like the cop kind of pulled up and was like you know just and i remember like people us chasing after them like throwing shit at their car and other people sort of like kicking the car and they're just like moving on you know
0: wow. it was weird so weird where do you think this influx of new kids were coming from like the kids that were bringing more violence to the shows and things i, like I that. think from the suburb it's just
1: just a sub suburb you know we were from the suburbs but it was a, it, i don't know it's
0: just they heard it was a place to act out. I don't know. Yeah, I hear stories all the time. It's like, yeah, like the shows would be cool and it'd be one crowd, but then like the Dead Kennedys or the Circle Jerks would show up or like a bigger band. And then you have like this other influx of kids. Not necessarily in Detroit, but yeah. I hear this about, you know, you hear about Boston, you heard about yeah. it all these different cities. Well, with
1: those like Dead Kennedys, when we played with them, I mean, there was like a thousand people there. So that was, to me, that was like a rock concert. Yeah. So the, the venue was huge and... So that dynamic was there was like stuff going on in the front, but mostly people were there to make this, make the scene, you know, make the show. It was like a big show, yeah. At least at that time with the Dead Kennedys, to me they were like rock stars, yeah. You know, because there was like that was Na's biggest show uh, at that time. It was opening up for the DKS. I mean, when we opened up for the Bad Brains, there was like thirty people there. Really. Yeah, I mean, the Bad Brains, for some reason, were not... I mean, it was like, the next day, they were huge. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> for some reason, they, they, they were not... In, you know, they were not... You know, it wasn't a full room. It was the same room, and there was like 50 people there. It was the same room that had 1,000 people in before? I think so. I think oh. it was the early clutch cargo space. And Black Flag, when he opened up that show, that, again, sold packed to the guilds, like, and Henry just, like, that band at that time, fuck, and Dez was playing guitar, oh, Henry yeah. was singing, and they were just, it, it was so
0: powerful. That lineup, the five-piece lineup is... And they were they were on fire, man. What about DOA? Did you ever see DOA? Yeah,
1: yeah, we played with DOA. What did you think of them? Um, I, I didn't really g- get them that much, no. um, and I like them. Though I, they they were really committed and very good. I didn't not like their music that much. I got the twelve inch.
0: Hardcore eighty one. Yeah, hardcore
1: yeah. eighty one. I liked it, and then I just thought you know they've been around. They were very committed. Um, I respected them, but it didn't hit me. And then um, and then later on, you know, you know how they kept going. And yeah. So we did a couple of dates with them at in the reunion stage of Na. And, you know, it was a blast. You know, they're super <laughs> cool
0: people. Um, but, I yeah, those guys were nice. I guess it goes back to what you are saying about, like, the Misfits not hitting in D.C., but hitting in Detroit. It's uh-huh. kind of the same with DOA. Like, anyone who talks from D.C. is like when DOA came to town, that's when the scene started. Like, that yeah, was, like, a huge thing. Yeah. But it makes sense because, like, if you put DOA and the Misfits on a spectrum, they would be on the opposite ends right, of right, that right, spectrum. Right. Yeah. Politically. Politically. And ideologically. Yeah, every yeah, level. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting how, yeah, I always think about ge- the way geography affects music, you know, mm-hmm. and like the way, especially yeah. now it's changed so much, right? Because we can all listen to the same stuff. Like, it's not really as regional as it once was, but when it was, had that regional identity, it's amazing how certain stuff would land and certain stuff wouldn't land for yeah, yeah. different places. yeah uh, what, was the, what was the moment that you look back upon as being like the defining moment of that hardcore era? So that Minor Threat Show at the freezer? Like, is there a moment that you kind of look back on? God, I'm, that's hard hey. to say. Not, I mean, God,
1: no, I mean, there's moments. Um, I just think, uh, maybe, I just like the sort of communal, like sort of, uh, I, I don't know, it's hard to say. I don't really I can't really recall, or, or clarify
0: yeah like it i just you know it just feels like there's it's such an area that's focused on there's books about it there's documentaries uh-huh. about it you know and it's such a short brief period of time yeah and yeah you know, i don't know it's hard to distill anything down to like a single moment or yeah. thought. but it's just
1: i guess the freezer era yeah. would be that one was the healthiest mm-hmm. like just in that time because we had the freezer and then we had our practice space and then you know, Clutch Cargo's was the, the more professional space um, that had a promoter. You know, the bigger acts would play there. Yeah. So all those things were kind of like right next to each other in, in a time frame, you know? Yeah. So that 82, late 81, early 83 would be that time. That's the best. Like, well, for me, that yeah. to me, that was the, felt like the healthiest stuff was
0: seen. What do you think happened in Detroit? Like, why do you think that scene fades? Because, like, obviously, there's another hardcore scene that kind of comes in a little bit later. But yeah, um, yeah, I just think like, people kind of like trying
1: different things, the music shifting a little bit, people, other musicians getting bored with it, um, younger kids introducing um,
0: different stuff. Yeah, but there wasn't really; it didn't feel like there was a scene that kind of immediately was ready. To I take no, the place, no, right? no.
1: It was a, It was like a.
0: That was like the Greystone,
1: that venue in Dearborn had a kind of a more variety of bands.
0: Yeah, around,
1: which I didn't really partake. I, I went to a couple shows, but you know, I was kind of like on to something else. I guess. Did you were you out of New
0: York? Were you gone from Detroit? No, no, I, I didn't. No, I was still around. Did you ever go to Blondie's? Yeah. There's always terrible stories about the scary yeah, there being. It,
1: well, to me, that was more of a like of a, of a sort of a metal. Scene, but I mean, like,
0: Gigi Allen did some stuff at Blondie's. Yeah,
1: I didn't go to that show, I just heard about it. I don't blame you. Yeah,
0: I also hear yeah. about Boom and the Legion of Doom's legendary show where they cover the stage with dead deers or yeah. Slaughterhouse and the singer lighting his hair on fire. Yeah, I didn't
1: know, I wasn't aware of that stuff. It got real gnarly, yeah, yeah. Got, like Detroit yeah. gets like, yeah, really, really. Heavy with some of this stuff. I mean, maybe stuff like that, I just um, I blocked it out. I don't I don't, <laughs> I I don't remember that, that much of, I just
0: remember fights and just random shit that would happen. You know. That it's that becomes something that almost typifies Detroit hardcore at a certain point as the yeah. violence becomes like I, I talk to the guys from Coldest Life and they talk about how insane the violence got at yeah. a certain point. Like it was it was something that really came into that scene and really took hold in a way that it didn't...
1: And you could just feel it, like, the energy of certain people. It's just, like, you could tell that they just want shit to go wrong. Like, they want to cause trouble, like, you know, trouble. Um,
0: And so... Do you think it's, like, is it drugs? Is it poverty? Like, what caused that scene to get so heavy at a certain point? Like, the Cole's Life guy said it was drugs. Definitely, yeah, we're definitely. I mean, around.
1: drugs were not around. I mean, they were around, but they weren't in my, you know, spectrum. Like in my sort of, it seems like the older musicians kind of did some stuff, mm-hmm. but they kind of kept it away. Mm-hmm. So I was like aware that maybe that was going on, but it was never sort of like exploited or sort of, um, you know, I don't, I don't remember like. Being offered anything really then, as a yeah. kid, I knew stuff was going on, but I, I never saw it really. So the, wor- the the hardest thing I would see would be like somebody having a beer, you know. <laughs> I knew there was like heroin stuff going on, but yeah. they
0: they the they kept it away. It feels like at a certain point, the I guess when crack comes in, yeah, and then and, crack- then, and then you have like a. It seems like it must have spilled over at a certain point because there is a yeah. lot of people that passed away. Yeah, yeah, from that scene. Yeah. Um, anyway, Chris, this has been incredible. Oh yes, uh, yeah. And Thanks anytime, anytime you want to come back and do this thing. Okay, cool. But before you go, how do you view Negative Approaches' legacy now? Like it's such a it's a brief chapter of your life, yeah, and you've done so sort much of, of like, like an accident. Really. Yeah, but yeah. like it's so important to so many people. Yeah. Like I, we go to Japan right now and talk to kids about it. We could go to yeah. Mexico and talk to kids about it right now.
1: Well, the first time we did the reunion thing, you know, there was like a touch and go um, anniversary. You know, they're talking about us, John's like, there's this activity that's going to go on. Are you up for it? I said, yeah, yeah. Touch and go 25 year reunion, big blacks playing, you know, a lot of good acts. And I was like, all right, cool. Um, And I'm thinking, you know, it will be like a thousand people. You know, and then we're getting these reports like maybe it's going to be two days uh, I think they want to put it in a bigger space um, you know and then so it kind of blew up and it, not, it wasn't because of just negative approach but just all the other bands on the bill and then um, it just felt really fun it was fun to rehearse for that and practice and I've always been friends with those guys and John and I have always been relatively tight, so, mm. you know, um, I mean, we would jam anyway, uh, so... You guys would jam? Yeah, we would goof off and... Did you ever record me? anything for these jams? I don't think so, maybe some, some tapes and stuff. No, we would work on like NA stuff okay. or covers or something, um, and then, um, so that went really well, then we got asked to do all Tomorrow's Parties from Thurston Moore and Sonic Youth, again another big event and that went really good and then somebody in Belgium was like you want to do a one-off and see what happens and then that was really successful so and then we did a tour a short like European tour and you know it was successful so it was it was fun but I could then I could tell I'm like oh my god that's it's so weird that people are connecting to this music and um, that I thought we were just kind of like tossing off as kids you know like so, it's hard to. On one hand, I, you know, you like after a show. Oh, that was the greatest thing I ever saw, and I'm so grateful that you're able to do this. And in that I, 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 was kind of uncomfortable at times, like sort of embracing that because I was like, well, you know, it wasn't. It was just kind of an accident. We didn't really. There was no intention. Of, yeah. <laughs> to do anything, so, you know. It, I was appreciative but at the same time I'm sort of like checking myself like, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not like Jimi Hendrix, you know,
0: <laughs> you're so, you know what I mean? Did you, do you have any idea prior to that? Like, because AFI covers you got, like every band, you're probably one of the people most covered started, bands
1: ever. People started asking about doing covers and then, you know, like that sort of 90s grunt, we started getting credited for like a Nirvana thing that meant a negative approach and now all of a sudden, There's a bump in the touch and go royalty, the total recall sales go up, you know, like if somebody says something about it, so it becomes this mysterious, well, I'm into Nirvana. What's negative approach? Like, what's that? You know, so I think that kind of media attention fed into some of that, you know. I was, th- I was
0: thinking about that today. You guys have to be one of the most covered hardcore bands ever.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people were asking us, to, can we do X, Y, and Z? And usually we're
0: just like, yeah, do whatever you want.
1: I think there's two tribute records. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm grateful that people are into it. And it's fun fun to play. So
0: It's not easy to play. But. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Chris, I'm grateful that you put the effort into play. Uh, it, yeah. And I'm grateful you took the time to do this. Yeah, I'm grateful see. for all you being here. Thank you, everyone very much. Yeah. Give it up for Chris OP Moore. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Chris, for coming on this show. And hopefully you can come back here in a little bit more of a, a chill. Not in front of a live studio audience Kind of vibe And we can have uh, a little bit more Of an in-depth conversation at some point Because, as I said off the top This guy's got quite the resume With these bands And, you know, a lot of stories I didn't even ask about this L7 thing You know, here here I am wasting an opportunity To talk about that There's a lot of stuff I should have asked him about And I I will in the future Because uh, (laughs) I'm going to be talking to people From Negative Approach any chance I can get Speaking of which Coming up in a few days, my Frank Sinatra, the the god of vocalists himself, John Brannan will be here. Now, if you are a longtime listener of Turned Out a Punk, I think uh, his name has come up many times on this show. And he is someone who I look up to and respect as being one of the greatest aggressive vocalists ever. Ever from negative approach to the laughing hyenas to easy action, and now because of Third Man Records, we will finally be able to hear the band that started it all off. Static, it is coming out finally. This is a very storied tape that, which I would you when you hear the episode, we'll find out as well that actually is. Several dozen tapes that make up this oeuvre for for static But this has been stuff that has been rumored to be floating around for years And now finally Third Man is putting it out in some sort of digestible format And I, I, I've heard this thing It lives up to the hype This is such an important release uh, I'm going to be rambling on about this next week But I am very excited that this thing is coming out I I really am You think I was investing in Third Man? Uh, but the, I, I really do think you should all pick this thing up It is it is very important to the development of this music Anyway, we'll talk about this next week John Brandon, or in a few days Not next week, a few days Because it's Negative Approach Week here at Turnout Punk And I guess Static Week too Alright, that's it Remember, as always, black lives matter The lives of indigenous peoples and First Nations peoples matter We need to protect trans kids we need to help trans people protect themselves. There needs to be a stop of hate and violence towards Asian people and people of different faiths, and just just knock all that shit out. Because this stuff, as I say, this ain't political. This is just human rights stuff. People just deserve to live without being in fear of their safety and their family's safety. So, uh, do what you can. Get involved. You know. Uh, get, get informed. You know, this, this podcast also, it should go without saying, but unfortunately it doesn't. It is a pro-choice podcast and we support people's right to choose what they do with their reproductive systems. And so get involved, get, get involved if you can with your time, with your body by showing up at rallies and protests, just look at organizations that are doing good work. And if you can donate money to them to help, do it, you know, if you can donate time to them to help, do it. Because uh, the world only gets better when we start making it better. We can't rely on anyone else to make it better for us. We just got to do it ourselves, right? DIY style. Uh, speaking of being DIY, make your own culture, because anyone can do this bullshit. A podcast? <sighs> Fuck, anyone can do that. Start a zine. That's some real work. Start a Start a band. That, that's a little bit of work, emotional work, that's for sure. Uh, but just, just you know, do a drawing for yourself, make your own culture, do something. You know, it'll help your mental health. And speaking of helping your mental health, try meditating. I, Cause I didn't believe in it, and it works for me. Well, I don't know if it works for me, but I feel better. So maybe it will make you feel better too. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, sign your organ donor cards though, because that will definitely make someone else feel better. When they can give them a new organ And you don't need that When you're when they take them from you They're not going to come to your house It's not like that Monty Python sketch That uh, you can't do that on television Ripped off Where the organ donor peoples Come and steal your organs When you're still alive No, they, they wish you you're, You no longer need them And then they take them And that's it Stay safe everyone See you in a few short days Live Negative Approach Week as best you can, because, uh, wow, what a great week. All right. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Bye.